is up, my dudettes? It's the KC Stormer Podcast broadcasting live on this Wednesday evening. You're going to get this on Thursday afternoon. We've got a lot to cover. We've got a jam-packed show. We've got a busy show. A lot of things we're excited about. We're going to have former WWE superstar, indie wrestler, guy who's been all over the world, literally fought on WrestleMania, uh, wrestled with some of the most prominent uh, names in the business. James Ellsworth will be on the show. That is a pre-recorded interview. We went 33 minutes with James Ellsworth. We're so thankful to him for his time. It was an awesome interview. We look forward to you guys listening to it. We talked about um, his Every Man with Two Hands has a Fighting Chance promo. We talked about what it was like wrestling at WrestleMania. We talked about what it was like um, you know, going from the Indies to the WWE and some of the things he's been doing during the pandemic and what does he think the company needs to do to be better in the future and all that and more. It was a great interview. You guys are going to look forward to that. And uh, I look forward to you guys listening to it. Uh, we also talked to South Lafouche football coach BJ Young. Coach Young is anticipating hopefully a season one down the bayou in Galliano. School is going to be starting on Monday for on-campus learning. They have been opening up their school year for virtual learning for now, two and a half or one and a half weeks. Um, Coach Young and those guys are back in their facilities doing some work, uh, getting things rolling in anticipation for a 2020 season that we hope is going to happen. Everybody says good things about this dude. Um, he has gotten uh, some energy and some vibe and some passion reinstilled back into that program. So we're hopeful. Uh, for some future successes and we'll have coach young on to talk about how things are going on in tarpon land um and then we'll wrap up with a sports segment oh hell of a lot going on in the world of sports right now we've got the nba playoffs which i've been glued to um we're going to talk about that major league baseball a little bit we're going to talk a little bit about the darius geis situation pga tour playoffs start tomorrow i'm going to make my art today by the time you're listening to this but I'm letting you guys know I'm recording this on Wednesday evening, so I'm still going to make my picks um, for the tournament. That's the opening playoff tournament. And then we're going to wrap up with our sports betting blitz and then make some picks for SummerSlam, which is this weekend. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit of COVID now, um, just kind of before we kind of dive into things. Great progress in the last couple of weeks. Our numbers have been getting better. I just wanted to share some statistics um, nationally. Our national hospitalizations right now are 43,313. On August 1st, that number was 54,412. So in the span of this month, we've dropped our hospitalizations by more than 10,000, which I think is excellent. Our numbers are, um, our percent positive rates are dropping. Our number of new cases per day are dropping today. In Louisiana, we didn't even add a thousand new cases. Remember the days where we were at 2,500 per day? We're not even ellipsing or, um, you know, eclipsing rather a thousand per day anymore. Uh, tremendous news. Our percent positive rates for the state have dropped. They were above 10. Now they struggle to be above five. So doing tremendous work. Kudos to everybody for heeding some of the warnings and for. You know, allowing us to make these progresses, our hospitalization numbers for the state have dropped from 1,600 to 1,160. That's a big drop. Um, we now report 118,120 people have recovered in the state of Louisiana. So that means we're looking at roughly 20,000 active cases of this. 
going on in the state. So again, we're uh, we're doing it. We, we beat this thing off at the end of the spring, and then we gave up some ground in the summer. But we're going to continue to beat this thing off, and we're going to continue to uh, make good progress. I'll break down some regional hospitalization numbers, talk a little bit about Lafouche Parish, then we'll catch a break and get into the meat and potatoes of the show. Uh, regional numbers for our region, Region 3, these are hospitalizations. Um, since uh, we we had a peak on July 27th where we had 83 COVID hospitalizations. That was the highest number that we've seen in this latest surge. We've now dropped that number down to 50. So, I mean, that's almost in half, not quite in half, in less than a month. So, I mean, that's great work, great progress, and it looks like this wave is now behind us, or at least the peak of this wave. Our hospitalization numbers were upwards of 140 for our region at the at the peak in April. The crest this time is 83. So it's, it you know they, they, these scientists and these doctors tell us, hey, there's going to be waves. They're going to go up, then it's going to go down, then it's going to go up, then it's going to go down. And the key is making sure that the crest of every wave is smaller this time than the last time. And we've done it because nationally, our crest this time is, is, is less than the last time. Our death rate per day didn't surpass the first time uh, because we didn't do what New York City did, which was putting you know sick patients in nursing homes for them to die and give it to other elderly patients who are going to die. But um, Governor Cuomo's uh, being heralded as a hero nationally in the media. I think it's still a very interesting decision. But anyway, that's not what this segment is about. Um, and the fact is this current wave has not reached the levels of the last wave. And I think that's good news. We have things far more under control now than what we did a couple of weeks ago. And in Louisiana, we're making progress. And in the rest of the country, we're making progress, which I think is just unbelievable to see. Now, we'll talk about Lafouche Parish a little bit, and then we'll put a bow on this, and we will uh, call it a segment and get into the sports, which is what you guys really want to hear about. In Lafouche Parish, we are currently reporting 3,044 COVID cases total. 106 people have died. That death rate has gone up a little bit in the last couple of days, so we certainly are thinking and praying of all the people who are mourning the loss of a loved one. Um 30,160 tests have been done in Lafouche Parish. Uh, our percent positive rate in recent days had been uh, like high, like real high, like 15, 20% kind of high. Lately, that has leveled off. We've been under 10 for quite some time now. And uh, from the period, and this, this will show some of that progress. From July 30th through August the 5th, our percent positive rate in Lafouche was 16% on average. That ain't good. Um, but then from August the 6th to August the 12th, it dropped down to 12.5%, which is a 21.8% change or decrease. And lately, our numbers have been even better than that. We've been below 10% pretty much every day for the last several days now. So making good progress, doing good work. And um, I know you guys are worried about schools and on-campus learning starting on Monday. Um, spoke to Jared Martin, school superintendent. Uh, he kind of has reiterated, hey, man. We've got a plan. We trust our plan. We believe in our plan, and we think we could do this safely. And I know that there was the big headline in WDSU. Oh, 30-something people are in quarantine. First off, WDSU did that story with ulterior motives to scare people because that's what most television journalists do. They're not talented enough to use their words to inform and educate people in an entertaining way, so they have to use scare tactics and 
different things like that to spook people into what their version of the truth is. Only five teachers have, or I say teachers, only five employees have tested positive for COVID-19 in the last several weeks in Lafourche Parish, and the others are in quarantine because they came in contact. So they're being proactive. They're going to do this safely, and it all goes back to the same thing that I have talked about now on this show for, for several episodes, which is we now know this virus was here in December. We've traced it. It's a fact. We went to school in January, February, and March with this being here without any preventative measures, without any social distancing, without any masking, without any changes. We were still hugging on one another. We were still kissing on one another. We were still doing all the the things that they're telling us not to do. We did all those things for almost three whole months. And while it is true that there were a lot of instances of absences and a lot of instances of schools reporting larger than number, larger than normal instances of students missing school, probably because of COVID. It is also true that students weren't dying and teachers weren't dropping like flies and everything like they are warning us is going to happen. Those things are not going to happen. There are going to be instances where there are going to be little clusters. Schools are going to have to adjust their schedules at times. But by and large, we've got to understand that we've got to figure out a way to live with this instead of waiting to live when it's gone because we don't know when it's going to be gone. Recent study showed that uh, it, it was a survey of people aged 18 through 24, and it said that one-fourth of that population has pondered suicide in the last 90 days. Think about that number. 25% of our young people have pondered suicide in the last 90 days for a virus that is killing not even 1% of that population amongst those who are infected. If you include everybody in the population of that age, it's 0.0001% of people who die. And if you include the people who are infected, it's like 0.001% of people who have mortality because of this. But yet 25% are struggling with the mitigation and struggling with life not being back to normal. So the key is not to wait for this to go away completely but to learn how to live safely while it's here and learn to live with it as part of our day-to-day life. That's just that's just the reality. Like this this constant urge to take everything away and to to pull back from everything that we're used to having. At one time, yeah, I, I get it. You know, we were trying to to be precautious and we were trying to do at the time what we thought were the right things. But now those decisions are not being based on what we think is right or wrong. They're being based on what we think is the furthest left or the furthest right that we could possibly be. And I think that that's not the right way to handle a pandemic. I think that politics should be completely left out of this. If you could do something safely, this is America. You should have the right to do it as long as you're safe and taking precautions and doing the things that you need to do to keep yourself safe and keep your neighbors safe. Let's catch a quick commercial break. When we get back, we're going to go to James Ellsworth. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast on LaFoucheGazette.com. If you like wrestling, you're going to love this interview. 33 minutes of wrestling talk with one of the best right here on LaFoucheGazette.com. Let's take a quick break to welcome our new Casey's Corner sponsors, Ortho LA. Ortho LA is committed to improving the lives of patients by providing effective, innovative orthopedic care with the highest level of integrity, compassion, and professionalism. Ortho LA has seven board certified and fellowship trained surgeons that focus on the diagnosis and treatment of conditions, disorders, and the injuries of muscles, bones, joints, tendons, ligaments, and nerves. 
OrthoLA has five locations in the area and they accept all patients, including children, and they treat a wide variety of ailments, sports injuries, chronic conditions, workplace injuries, and others. OrthoLA accepts most major insurance companies and no referral is required. Providing expert care close to home, that's OrthoLA. Check them out today. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LaFoucheGazette.com. Joining us now, professional wrestler James Ellsworth. James, how are you, man? I'm good, brother. Just enjoying quarantine as we all are. How about yourself? Doing fine. That's the the, the first question I was going to ask you is uh, wrestling has pretty much slowed to a halt other than the big two. I mean, there are some events going on scattered here or there. Uh, but when was the last time you wrestled? Have you done anything lately? And do you have plans to do anything anytime soon? Yeah, I actually uh, wrestled in West Virginia for a company called ASW about two weeks ago. Ricky Mork was there, uh, Shane Douglas, Enzo Amore, myself, and uh, Mr. Hughes as well. So they had like five names on the show. It was in West Virginia. It was an outdoor event where they had um, the fans drive in in cars, and they all had to wear masks, and they had to bring their own chairs. So they drive it in their cars, bring their own chairs, sit their chairs next to the cars, and uh watch the event we also did a meet and greet where they had to wear masks as well which i mean i'm um you know like i don't like uh, to me they're paying for a picture so i take the mask off and get a picture with them if they're comfortable with it because i you know they're paying for it so i just feel bad that's awesome and talk me through that i mean it, it, it i was telling you just a minute ago i just got done hitting some golf balls and you know if you don't do something for a while you kind of get rusty at it how do you you know knock the ring rust off so to speak but it's not easy because wrestling's very hard. Like it's like you just can't, you know, sit on your butt for a couple of months and go back in there and not like it just be awesome at it. Like it, it's a very hard thing to do. So, you know, when I'm in there and I wrestled a guy that was uh, seven foot tall and three hundred pounds two weeks ago, so I had to take you know a lot of a lot of bump from him. It bad like you just feel it more because you haven't done it in a while. And even like the WWE guys, there's no house shows, so the majority of them are just wrestling once a week and some of them wrestling once every other week or once a month or, you know, it, it's, it's man, it, like I think everybody's going to get a little rusty after a while. Cause you know, you're used to doing those house shows where, you know, you're wrestling three, four days a week. Um, the majority of the time. And now just nobody's doing that. Everybody's got sort of a story for when they got bit by the bug and when they decided, hey, I want to do this crazy thing that's professional wrestling. What's the James Ellsworth story? When did you get bitten by the wrestle bug? Well, I can't remember ever not wanting to do it and not watching it. I've been watching it my whole life. I've been wanting to do it my whole life. Like I just said, I, I can't remember not wanting to do it. I've always just loved it, man. Always wanted to be a part of it. Always wanted to watch it. And I, I still feel the same way after all I've been through and all I've accomplished and all the ups and downs, like, I just still feel that way. I love watching it. I, I love doing it on every level. I've wrestled in front of seven people. I've wrestled in front of 75,000 people. Took a bump from Becky Lynch at WrestleMania, you know? Like, so, <laughs> I just love it, man. I really do. So, you you did the indies for a long time and, and built yourself up and, and talk us through, you know, kind of the, those stages, and then we'll get to the WWE stuff in a minute. But before the WWE stuff, tell us some of the things that you've done and some of the places you've been. Well, 
say I was like a journeyman, indie wrestler. I, I got I had a really good trainer in Axelrod, and he was an ECW original. He traveled the world, made money um, in the business, and I always tell people that are starting out in the business, find somebody who's done just that. Go to a school where the head trainer, the person who owns the school, or somebody who's a part of the school um, that has done that, traveled the world, made money in the business. Listen to those people because they did it. They they are proven success stories. And I got lucky and fortunate to be around him. And I started very young, man. I started at 17 years old, four days after I graduated high school. I signed up for wrestling school, and I weighed like 125 pounds. <laughs> I was 5'6". Now I'm 5'8", 170. I mean, I'm bigger, but not really that big. The average guy, WWE, 6'2", 220. But, um, yeah, like, just 14 years on the Indies before I made it WWE. I wrestled anywhere and everywhere that would give me an opportunity to, uh, you know, learn the craft and, and practice the craft in a ring. Um, you know, I did a little, yeah, like, not, like, the big Indies, I, I really didn't do a lot of that. I did CZW here and there. That, like, that's the only, like, indie people would know. I ran my own company and still do Adrenaline Championship Wrestling. But I would just go to shows with Axel a lot and learn from him and wrestle him and, um, Stuff like that, man. Very good. Now, you've done some WWE stuff in the past. You know, you were you were a rosebud, and you know, whenever they would come in town and they needed some extras, you would helped out. Tell us about the time before you know the the big one with Braun. Tell us about getting that call. How did it come about, and when did you get the the notification of hey, you're going to be in the ring tonight? Well, it's it's crazy. So when you're an extra. Like an extra is a local talent that, you know, they call where you, and a lot of times you're emailing them or somebody there, like a wrestler or a, you know, a back, somebody that works backstage and like knows you and that's how you got the spot. But like a lot of people just get it to send in their stuff and anybody can do it. Anybody can be an extra WWE that has just the minimum training. That's just how it is. And when you get there, you could be a rosebud, a security guard, a, um, a wrestler that gets beat in two minutes a fake doctor it's just whatever they need at the time like they're not you know looking for like oh we need this guy now to do this spot it's just they look at who they have there that day and they figure it out from there that, and that's every week um and yeah I, like i remember when i was a rosebud and that's the first time i was in front of a crowd at wwe and i was like man like i would love to do this for a living i you know I, like i i just thought that walking down the aisle with my little cheeseburger outfit with adam rose <laughs> <laughs> i'm like man this is this is so cool. Like any guy that complains about doing this, like what is wrong with them? Cause this is amazing. And, and you know, it's that, that was my first experience from the crowd. Like I said, and I always just, you know, um, thought that way. And, and so the, the, the night that, that they're asking you to lock arms with Braun, um, talk us through the match and, and then more specifically the promo and it, you know, the, the big catchphrase, you know, any man with two hands has a fighting chance. Did, who who gave you that line? Did you have any input into it at all? Talk us through that night. Yeah, so Arn Anderson was the agent for the match. He came up to all the extras, and he said, whoever throws the best punch gets the match. And he asked me to go first because I was the smallest guy. And he had me throw a, he, I threw a punch, and, um, you know, Axel taught me how to throw a punch really well. He, he could throw a punch really well. And he goes, okay, let me say you throw one on, on him. And Braun Strowman was standing there and I threw one on him he goes all right I don't need to say anybody else he's like you got the match I was like wow so like um now the promo Jimmy Jacobs wrote the promo but I came up with the any man with two hands as a fighting chance line because I knew I was hitting him twice in the match so we were going over the promo which was very gutsy for me to go hey can I use this line that I just thought of that day and 
Jimmy Jacobs, who I think is amazing. He works for Impact. Now he's just a great guy and a great writer and has a great mind for the business. He said, yeah, man, it's a great line. Say it. Go ahead. Add it in there. So, like, number one, I'm glad I asked him. You know, number two, I'm very glad he said yes, that I could say that. Very good. And, and you know, you, you wrestled Braun that night, and he goes over, and that was something that he had been doing as a series, you know, fighting enhancement talents around the area and extras and everything like that. Um, so, you know, this was expected, I'm sure, at the time to kind of be a one-off. But when did you kind of get the feeling like, hey, man, this went really well, and then when did it turn into more of a full-time thing? Well, so <laughs> this is a funny story. Um, right before the match, Sasha Banks won the women's title for the first time, the Raw women's title. And I'm in gorilla position, and I'm like, and I was, I'm a big Sasha Banks fan to this day. I just think she's awesome. She, to me, uh, my whole opinion, the best women's wrestler out there. And um, I'm sitting there watching her hug Stephanie McMahon and hug Triple H and, and, and everybody in Gorilla and Vince McMahon. I'm, and I'm like caught up in that moment. And they're like, James, James, you're next. You got to go out there. You know, hey, you know, and. So as an enhancement talent, I don't know what the rules are now, but in 2016, the rules were you, enhancement talent was to go through the crowd and come in the timekeeper's side where the timekeeper's table is, where they ring the bell. They, we walk through the crowd to come in that way and get in the ring. You don't go down the aisle. So when they, they, were, when they said that, I, I forgot about that, and I walked down the aisle. <laughs> and uh, the referee, I get in the ring, the referee, Spider, who's a great guy, I get in there and he's like, hey, man, you weren't supposed to walk down the aisle i was like oh man i'm sorry i'm sorry so and then you know so you, you already apologized for doing something wrong and then you know and then you got to cut a promo on live tv and then the promo i knew it was good as soon as i said it you as a performer you know when something's good and something's bad right away like and so after i said it i'm standing there as Braun's coming to the ring i'm like man that felt good like i i felt like that was a, that was a good job and then Ron gets in the ring and beats me up for a while, and uh, I felt felt like I sold everything good. I was like, man, this you know this is going to be my only appearance at WWE, and I really feel like I did a good job. So, you know, I, I get to the back, and Arn Anderson's like, kid, you did a great job. He goes, um, Vince wants to see you. And when he said Vince wants to see me, I thought in my head he was going, Vince McMahon was going to chew me out and yell at me <laughs> for walking down the aisle and getting in the ring and not going through the crowd. And when I went and saw Vince, he was waiting outside Gorilla for me. And there's there's stairs there, little stair, you know, a couple of steps. And he goes, kid, you did a great job. He goes, I'm going to hire you. I'll be in touch. And I thought he was kidding. And Triple H shook my hand, too. He said, yeah. He's like, he'll, he'll get in touch with you. He's like, you knocked it out of the park. He's congratulations. And I was like, huh? So he told me right away that he was going to hire me. He didn't tell me when. He didn't tell me what, what it was going to consist of. I don't think he knew in his head any of that yet. It's a live show that he's running. And he, you know what I mean? Like yeah. In the middle of it, he, he sees this kid who he's never seen before. And he, he tells he's going to hire. And, I mean, from there, dude, for six straight weeks, every week, they would hit me up. Hey, we might need you at Raw this week. You might come out dressed as Enzo and, and, and Chris Jericho might beat you up. And then, like, Friday, he told me, hey, we don't need you for that. You, we don't need you for that. I'm like, okay. Then a final week, hey, we might need you at SummerSlam to wrestle Heath Slater for a, a contract for SmackDown. Because that's when Heath Slater was, like, he didn't get drafted by Raw or SmackDown. He was a free agent. So, and up until that Friday, they were sending me, like, promos to do for SummerSlam and all that. I'm like, I'm going to be on SummerSlam wrestling at <laughs> Heath Slater. And then that Friday before SummerSlam, we're like, hey, 
sorry, you know, we, we thought he was going to be a heel. He winded up being a baby face through all this, which, I mean, it's obvious he's going to be a baby face. Did he get drafted? People, you know, feel bad for him. That's what I thought in my head. And um, so, like, we're not going to do this. And then it, it, I didn't hear from him for, like, two weeks after that. So I started thinking, man, I guess, you know, that's it. Maybe he just forgot about me. He forgot that he told me he was going to hire me. But then, lo and behold, two weeks later, hey, we 100% have something for you. We need you in, um, in Philadelphia uh, for SmackDown. And that's an hour and a half from my house in Baltimore, so I wasn't bad. And um, they're like, we, we got something for you. And so I went to Baltimore, not Baltimore, Philly, six weeks after the uh, Strowman match. And they um, put me in the angle with um, AJ was looking for a partner. And he couldn't find one. Nobody wanted to team with him. And then Daniel Bryan made me team with him. But the Miz lined up beating me up on the ramp before I got to the ring. And uh, it was against John Cena and Dean Ambrose. So that was my first appearance on SmackDown. So that's kind of how it happened. That's what I guess. Yeah, that's awesome. And you did a lot of stuff with AJ Styles. I'm a huge AJ Styles fan to this day. I think he's one of the best in the world. What was it like working with him? Well, I, I think, in my humble opinion, AJ's the best of the world. Like, the, And, you know, I'm not – it's not so much being a homer. It's just the way I really feel. I feel like AJ's the best in-ring performer in the world right now, and Sasha Banks is the best in-ring woman's performer in the world right now. Those are just my humble opinions. Everybody's opinion's different, but those are mine. And AJ, dude, working him, the, the, the day – the first day I wrestled him when Ambrose was the referee in San Jose, California, in SmackDown, I – didn't know I was going to wrestle him until that day. I thought I was going to be wrestling The Miz because, you know, a couple of weeks earlier on SmackDown, he beat me up. And, you know, they told me I would be coming back in a couple of weeks to wrestle The Miz. Um, and when I got there, they're like, hey, change your plans, which I learned about the change of plans very early in my career <laughs> as we're going through this. Like, it was so many, so many change of plans. Um, you know, we're going to have you wrestle AJ and, and Ambrose is going to be the referee and Ambrose is going to screw AJ out of the match and you're going to win. I'm like, wait, AJ's the world champion. You're going to have me beat the world champion. I don't care what under what circumstance you're going to do it where it's going to be, you know, a cough, cough win because Ambrose is helping. You're having this this guy who just showed up, beat the world champion, who happens to be the best wrestler in the world. I was like, what? So I was very nervous and I never get nervous. Like, I love wrestling. I thrive on it. I love performing, but I have so much respect for AJ Styles and for the WWE title because it's the, you know, it, it's the main title in all of wrestling. It's the title everybody grew up on and knows. And I, I was so nervous, man. That was the I, I, I've never been that nervous in my life. Like it was just this crazy. How was he? I mean, as the champion, losing to this guy that that no one's really heard of at this point. How was he with that? Oh, he was a, he's a he's a professional. Like he, he knows it's it's a work and it's a story. And he, and it's like it wasn't really my character beating him. It was Ambrose beating him, and yeah. I just got the three because Ambrose was the referee. So and AJ knows that. AJ's one of the most professional people you'll ever meet and be around. And he he gets it. He understands business, and that's why he's one of the most uh, successful uh, guys that there is today because he just understands the get that he never. I've never seen him say no to anything. And, um, I was very respectful to him, and I think that goes a long way with him. And um, he didn't have a problem with it at all. He knew it was for the best for him and uh, Ambrose's storyline. And, yeah, man, it was he, no harm, no foul with him for sure. Very, very professional guy. So, man, at that point, you're off to the races, and, and you know, you're part of the company. And, and what's the difference in terms of 
being quote unquote the the you know the independent weekend warrior guy to then being like on the road like I'm sure that physically there's a big difference mentally there's a big difference talk talk us through what that's like li- literally living on the road you know well I always was a hard worker meaning like when I was on the independence I worked two, two jobs during the week because I worked uh, sixty hours during the week and then I would wrestle two or three times on the weekend. So I was just always busy anyway for 14 years, um, always working a job or two, mostly two for eight years in a row before WWE, I worked two jobs and wrestling on the indies and running my own uh, independent wrestling company. So like I was so used to being busy, but the weird thing is, man, like, and this is, this might sound strange, but like I've been so obsessed and in love with wrestling my whole life. And I've always told myself my whole life I was going to be in WWE that when it happened and it might, it's a good thing in some ways and it's a bad thing in some ways where like, I just felt like it was always going to happen. How weird that may sound. Like I always felt like, man, this, this is what I always wanted to do. This is what I knew I was going to do. This is what I told myself my whole life um, that I was going to do. And now I'm doing it. And I was so happy, like to get on the road and go travel the world. My first, my first loop with WWE, meaning not just TV, they put me on the house shows was a UK tour where we did TV, did like a 16-day tour in Europe, and then came back and did TV again. I was gone for three weeks. That was my first loop in WWE. It was a three-week tour, so they for me right to the world. And I just loved it, man. It's, it was, like I said, it was what I always dreamt of doing, what I always set out to do, what I always wanted to do. So once I accomplished it, I was like, here we go. This is what I always knew I was going to do. And, and here I am. And so I wasn't scared of the hard work because i'm just a hard worker anyway i don't like to sit around the house like i said i had two jobs and ran my own wrestling company and wrestled so uh, yeah it's a very hard tough schedule but like i said up to that point i think i was trained for it because i just worked so hard anyway very good and did the the managing of carmella and you know kind of being you know the the boy toy kind of thing and then shifted your character a little bit what was that like what was it like working with carmella well, Carmel is very, very smart. She's a very smart woman. I, like, as soon as wrestling's over for her, she's going to be good at whatever she does next because she's just so intelligent, has a great business sense, um, very fun to be around. She loves the laugh. Um, and it was her idea for her and I to work together. She pitched it to Vince. Vince loved it. And I really think, like, <laughs> it was it, it was so different from what I was doing with AJ and, and uh, Dean Ambrose. Uh, you know, it was like night and day, the characters, but I, I think that character worked. You had this guy who was hanging out with this this beautiful woman, and now he thinks he's, you know, it's like Can't Buy Me Love. That movie, Can't Buy Me Love, when the yeah. guy pays the hottest girl in school to, to date <laughs> him, and then after a while, like, he started thinking that he was he was the man because he was dating this girl, even though he paid to be with her. Like, the, the storyline was Carmella didn't like me. She was just using me, but I, I'm thinking this is my girl. This is my, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm the man because this girl's hanging with me. And it, dude, it was like amazing. I think, you know, that storyline when it first started went on for almost a year. It was 11 months that we did that storyline. And then they brought me back and we did another two. So that was, a, it's a 13 month storyline that we did together, which this day and age storylines don't last that long, you know. Yeah. And I, I and I and I really think they they they've never really closed the door on it because the last time you saw me on SmackDown, Paige fired me, but Carmel and I never broke up. We never had heat like the characters. We never, you know, we never broke off. 
other than Paige firing me, but the characters are still, to me, like linked together because they never closed the uh, book on it. You, you touched on this a minute ago, and I, I can't help but to ask, you know, you, you're this guy who, as you said, you've worked in gyms with seven people, you've worked in you know, arenas with 70 plus thousand people. What's it like for the guy who at one time was working two jobs to stay afloat? to now be working WrestleMania, that had to just be a thrill of a lifetime. I, I didn't experience it, but I still get chills right now just thinking of it right now for you. That had to just be incredible. Well, yeah, like, there, there's four times I cried. I cried when, uh, you know, the day, the, the night I wrestled Strowman and Vince told me he was going to hire me. I got When I got in the car by myself, just tears. And then I cried again once they actually gave me the contract and always did it alone. I didn't do it in front of them. Well, got in the car, tears driving back to my house from Pittsburgh where they uh, had me um, do the physicals and all. And after you pass the physical, they give you the contract. And then when I wrestled AJ for the WWE title that same night, because I mean, dude, you're wrestling for the WWE title, like a guy that did indies for 14 years. Like, like I said, I'm five foot eight, 170 pounds. Don't look like I belong on GQ magazine at all. So, like, the odds of me ever wrestling for the WWE title was very slim, <laughs> and it meant the world to me that they put me in that position, even if it was a gimmick. And after WrestleMania, like, that's the Super Bowl. That's the World Series. That's the Stanley Cup. That's the NBA Finals. That's the um, Indy 500. That's, the, you know, like, every major sporting event, that, that's wrestling's major sporting event. There's no other wrestling show in the world that tops WrestleMania is more important than WrestleMania or is more known than WrestleMania. So after I did that, I was like, man, like that, I, I did everything I set out to accomplish when I signed up for wrestling school. Like, you know, and it was just a great feeling. I, I, I was so grateful. And I, like, I, I hope they like WWE understood how grateful I truly was and how blessed I truly felt. And I, I don't know if I showed it enough. Cause dude, like I was always into the storylines when they would send me what I was doing. Like I would always, maybe go to the well one too many to try to help out or put my thoughts into it and all that. And, you know, or maybe not. I was just very passionate about stuff like that. I wanted to do a good job. I want the stories that I was involved in to be good. And very, so, you know, a lot of times you might just want to be quiet and not get involved in any of that. But I was like so passionate about it. it maybe, I don't know, like I got on their nerves or something, <laughs> but like, I was very grateful for stuff like that. And, um, yeah, that just, but nothing beats WrestleMania and wrestling, man. That That's for sure. Any pushback from any of the boys? I mean, here's this new guy who comes in who isn't the physical specimen that maybe some of the other guys are who's now working with some of the top guys. Well, thing is, I didn't go through the PC and I didn't go through NXT, which I'm very, like, uh, envy of the guys that did go through PC and go through NXT because you're learning from the best in the world on a daily basis and they have time and money invested in you if you go through the PC and go through NXT. So you're not losing your job anytime soon because they have all this time and money invested in you. So I wish I had the opportunity to go through the Performance Center or NXT. But see, the guys that went through the Performance Center and NXT that weren't on the Indies before, that like that's all they knew was, hey, I got hired because I'm a good-looking guy or I'm a former football player or athlete. And, you know, so wrestling to them is, okay, you just – train performance center you go through NXT that's how you get to the main roster so there, there was some guys that like I said never did indies that at first were like why does this guy have a roster spot he didn't go through PC he didn't go through NXT so at first there was like two, two maybe three guys I won't name names that felt that way 
But those two to three guys that I'm talking about all wind up becoming friends of mine. And I explained, like, I, I explained to them, like, hey, you know, I did 14 years on the independence wrestling in the American Legion, the VFWs, bingo halls, sometimes in Walmart parking lots. <laughs> like, you know, I really <laughs> scratched and clawed and, and got my butt kicked to get here. Like, yeah, and I'm envy of you guys. You guys had the best training in the world, and you got to go on the coolest brand in the world in NXT, in my opinion. And you guys are really really ready for this and you know like i had to like you know i got i was playing a ball forever <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. very good now new dog in town aew has opened up in the last couple of years gaining a little bit of steam have you watched much of it what do you think about it so i'm a, like i said i'm a wrestling fan i watch a little bit of everything i it, it's like i can't watch a full episode of anything just because when you're a performer, it, it's just hard because you want to be in there performing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think they got a lot of steam. I, I think they, they got a lot of, like, ex-WWE guys, and that's going to get eyes on their program. And I guess they know that because they have so many, like the Chris Jericho's, the John Moxley's, the Matt Hardy's, the, you know, the Brody Lee's, the uh, Taz's, and the Arn Anderson's, and the Jake Roberts. <laughs> I mean, we could go on and on, and uh, the Sean's Cody Rhodes, like, and, but those are all guys that have been on TV for years, so people are flipping through the channels and see Matt Hardy or John Moxley or Jericho. They're going to stop, especially Jericho and Moxley. They're you know so white hot off of WWE TV over the past few years. People, you know, and like I'm really enjoying MJF. Like I think he's like the homegrown talent that's getting over like to an another level. Like they got a lot of good homegrown talent, meaning talent that hasn't been on major television at first like the major tv right now is aew and wwe like all the other you know companies that have a little bit of tv it's not on a channel that everybody pretty much has it's not like so it's just aew and wwe those are the channels that most wrestling fans get usa fox and uh tnt and like like i said i'm really enjoying mjf the jungle boy um dude he's pretty cool uh, Darby Allen's pretty cool. I really w- wish they would do more with Kip Sabian and Penelope before. So I love both of them, and I think there's money in that team. And it's, it's interesting, man. It's it's great the buzz. Um, people seem to enjoy it. And like with all wrestling, man, I hope more people start watching because if you look at the numbers, less people are watching wrestling than ever, and that's really sad to me because uh, you know it's a business I'm in and love, and I just hope more people start watching all the programs. That's the next question I was going to ask. It's a perfect segue is, you know, I hear all the time, well, it's just not as good as it used to be. What, what in your opinion is missing and what could make it better and what could attract more eyeballs to the program? Well, here's the thing. So like in the attitude era, man, they did everything cool that you could think of because they're in a war with uh, WCW. So, you know, you got, you got a guy on there beating up his boss and drinking beer and giving the finger how do you follow that? You know what I mean? Like, what can you come up with next? That is as cool as that. Like, yeah. And so it's just hard. Like it's one of those things where every cool storyline's pretty much been done. But I think to, to get more viewers to watch, number one, you need, you need a big star to emerge. Um, like a John Cena, you know, so John Cena didn't draw as much as Austin, the rocks arrows. Like I said, that era was very hard to follow. But the, you don't have that guy right now that's sticking out that's, like, drawing eyes from everywhere. And it's, it's going to be hard going forward, first and foremost. I really think so. I think the storylines need to last longer. I, I hate when there's a storyline and then all of a sudden it disappears. Like, they had a hacker on SmackDown. 
and now they don't. Like, it's just gone. Like, we don't know who the hacker was. We don't, you know, it, it's, it's yeah. just gone. So I hate when they do stuff like that. I also hate when the champions lose non-title matches all the time. Like, I think the titles need to mean more. I think the champions need to be more protected. They need to stop losing non-title matches all the time. Like, oh, Paul Cruz just lost a non-title match to MVP, so now MVP gets a title match. It's like, do we need to do that? Can we just have a number one contenders match between MVP and Ricochet, and the winner of that faces Apollo, and then MVP beats Ricochet, and then, then he faces Apollo. That way Apollo doesn't have to lose because he's a champion. Like, stuff like that. Like, I think, like, when, I, when we were kids, man, like, I don't ever remember Demolition losing a non-title match for the tag titles against anybody. Like, I don't remember, like, you know, so I don't remember the hockey talking man when he was, you know, Intercontinental Champion for 18 months or whatever it was. I don't remember him losing non-title matches. Like, I don't know when that started. I remember Shawn Michaels losing non-title matches to Tatanka, Intercontinental title matches, when I was a kid. Like, he would, you know, and then that's why he got the match at WrestleMania. Like, I think maybe that's when it started, like, round 93, but I'm not a fan of that at all, man, when the champions just lose. I mean, it means the champion means less. It means the title means less, in my humble opinion. So that needs to change. And like the storyline's just gotta last longer. Like right now, I love Bailey and Sasha's storyline because you know where it's going. You know, one of them's gonna wind up turning on the other. Yep. But they've been they've been just you know building so slowly. You know it's coming, and you're waiting for it to come. And then when it does come, you're like, hell yeah! Finally, Sasha slapped the crap out of Bailey. Like it, that's a perfect example of some a storyline that is going right and that we need more of. Like. It just seems like a storyline starts, and then at the pay-per-view, it, it might go a pay-per-view or two. I, I like to see a blood feud. I would love if, like, Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton's story went for a while. Like, you can get away from it and fight other people, but it's always there. You know, like, it, that. you know, more of that, I think people would get more invested in, you know, if there's longevity in the storylines. I agree with you 1,000%. I thank you so much for saying that. And, and last question before we let you go. One thing that WWE has been dabbing in a little bit is, I call them these movie matches. And what I mean by that, heavily produced, like we saw AJ and The Undertaker, and then Money in the Bank. Heavily produced, a lot of cut scenes, a lot of different things. I think some of it has been good, I think some of it has been bad. What are your thoughts on these heavily produced, you know, almost like movie scene matches? Well, man, they've been doing them forever. Like, I remember the Hollywood backlog brawl between Roddy Piper and Goldust at WrestleMania 12. You know, so they, they've been doing them a while. They are doing it now more than ever because there's no fans in the crowd. So I think they're going to the well too much right now. Like, you know, maybe every other month do one. It seems like every month they've been doing one. And, like, like you know, and some of them have been really good. Some of them have been really bad. The Boneyard match was amazing. Uh, I I enjoyed the Money in the Bank match um, when they when they did both of them at the same time. They were fighting, and um, which man like I would <laughs> when you sit there watching. I'm like, man, that would have been funny if like AJ's running through the uh, building and he stops and he looks over and I'm in a I'm in a janitor's outfit mopping the floor as the janitor of like <laughs> at WWE headquarters and. And I, I would look at him and go, you know, I used to mop the floor with you and just continue to mop the floor. <laughs> like, <laughs> stuff like that, I always think. But, like, no, um, it's, you know, right now there's no fans. And, like, I, I didn't, and I love Bray Wyatt. I usually, I usually love each and everything he does because he's so creative and so innovative. Uh, I don't know how much Strangle Hole he had on that swamp match. I 
and I love Strowman too, obviously. And I, I, I didn't, I didn't enjoy that. It just felt like it, it didn't get started. It felt like a preview to a movie where they never really got started, you know. And then, then he drowned or something. I don't know. <laughs> like I, I wasn't a fan of that. But I love the Boneyard match. I love the Money in the Bank match. Um, and then the other ones, uh, like I know they had other ones, like Adam Cole was in one, and, and I think the uh, Street Profits and the Viking Raiders were in one. And like, I, but I don't really remember those because i got like they weren't as memorable or as good maybe but yeah you can't do it all the time even if there's not fans you like you do something all the time then it becomes normal and it's not special you know and i i just think it's becoming the norm because they're doing them every month and they just need to send a save them for bigger events in my humble opinion very good well look james i appreciate the time before we let you go uh where are some of the next places we could find you and shout out all your social media and all that good stuff I'm going to be in Arkansas this week for a signing. Um, so I love flying when I'm playing with a mask one. Trust me, it's, it's so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but you can, you can find out where at in Arkansas this Saturday um, at my on my Instagram at James Ellsworth Wrestling. Um, I'm on Twitter at Real Ellsworth. Also today, actually today, and I'll plug this, I got a P.O. box where fans can send me, uh, you know, fan mail, hate mail, you know, stuff that won't, they want me to sign. It's P.O. Box 2078, Glen Birdie, Maryland, 21060. If you want to send me anything, uh, you know, and uh, be nice. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm tr- still doing my thing, and uh, I'll keep fighting eventually. Hopefully, either you'll see me do a cameo appearance with WWE, or, uh, maybe a Royal Rumble, maybe a comeback for a while. You know, you'll never know. I'll, I'll, I feel like you haven't seen the last of me forever, that's for sure. We look forward to that so much. Hey, thanks so much for the time, man, and we'll chat again sometime in the future, okay? I appreciate you, man. Take care. God bless. Stay safe. Same to you. We thank James Ellsworth so much for the time. It's so crazy to think, you know, there have probably only been about 200, 300 people who've ever performed on WrestleMania. Just to have one of them on the podcast today was just a great honor. We thank him so much for the time. Let's catch a quick commercial break when we get back. We'll go from James Ellsworth to South Lafouche High School. Football coach BJ Young will be on the line. Coach Young will tell us about all the things going on in Tarpon right here on LafoucheGazette.com. So today I come to you guys with some fantastic news. At a time in news media where everyone is shrinking their coverage, everyone is putting up paywalls so that you have to pay for your coverage, everybody is printing fewer copies of their paper and finding good, reliable news is harder than ever, we at the Lafouche Gazette are going the opposite direction. Today I'm proud to announce that instead of shrinking the number of papers that we print, we're expanding our coverage and we're expanding our coverage area. We're now going to have boxes in Northern Lafouche, in the Northern Raceland communities, in the St. Charles communities, and in the Thibodeau community. We're going to be doing the best that we can to reach every single household in Lafouche Parish and every single person who wants access to our newspaper in the physical copy and online will be able to get that. So thank you guys so much, very much from the bottom of my heart. And I know I speak on behalf of everyone on our team. Thank you so much for allowing this to happen. And keep reading. We are LaFouche Strong 100% of the time. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LaFoucheGazette.com. Joining us now is South LaFouche football coach B.J. Young. Coach Young, good morning, man. How are you? 
Good morning. I'm, I'm doing well. And yourself? Doing fine, brother. Um, you guys have been back at school for the virtual learning for now, a week and a half or so. And more important than that, from a football perspective, you guys have been back in your locker room facilities for now, a week and a half. How have things been since you guys have gotten back? It's been great. You know, it's, it's a breath of fresh air to get back and see the guys and, uh, you know, get back to work. Um, you know, very they're very excited as well. And I think, uh, you know, last week and so far this week, we put in, uh, you know, some good work. Very good. Um, you guys kind of got your marching orders from the state in terms of uh, when season's going to be starting and, um, you know, what you got to do on the sidelines and this, that, and the other. And, you know, just as a coach and, and trying to prepare and plan, how good is it to finally, after all this time of nervous waiting, kind of know, hey, you know, this is when we're going and, you know, let's rock and roll? Yeah, it's a breath of fresh air. You know, it's, um, you know, we're hopeful that we can play. I, I know uh, we want to play as coaches, and I know and I know our guys want to play. Uh, so we're doing whatever it takes, you know, with the precautions and, you know, doing it to the best of our abilities to make sure we're doing what we have to do, um, you know, as Salafouche High School to make sure that we can play football. And, you know, just a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, knowing that, that we can go October 9th and uh, – you know, it's just, it's just exciting and, um, you know, anxious to see what the governor says on the 28th as far as, you know, what he's doing as far as the phases are concerned. And, um, you know, we'll go from there. One thing that a lot of coaches in the area have told me is that, you know, while there may be, you know, the, this rush to get back at it because, you know, you guys got your marching orders and you got the start date. The season's also pretty far away from starting now. You know, you've, you've guys got some time. So just talk about how you're kind of trying to pace these guys into this, easing in, easing them into it. And um, there's also still not a whole lot of contact that could be done right now. What are what are you and are you not allowed to do? And what are things, you know, what's the speed of things right now over at South Lafouche? Right. The way, the way we're looking at it is it's, it's like June again, you know. Uh, so we're not going for very long. You know, kind of the analogy I used was if somebody told you, you know, you got an hour and a half to work today, get what you can get done, you're pretty much going – you know, all you got 100%, whereas if, you know, you got to work an eight-hour day, sometimes you might pace yourself. And I feel like sometimes it's like that at practice. You know, they know they're going to go for two, two-and-a-half hours. They're not giving you all they got the whole two-and-a-half hours, you know. So we shortened it up. You know, we go around an hour. A lot of a lot of teaching and slowing it down and individual work, um, just trying to become sound and disciplined in, in what we're doing. You know, as far as switching it up, you know, we're going we're gonna to do a uh, – I'm going to try to get uh, the National Guard guy who's in there to come and do some team building stuff on a Friday or two. Just, just to try to, you know, break up the monotony as far as going out there every day and just, and just grinding, you know, because the last thing we need is our kids to be burnt out on October 9th. You know, typically you'd be probably somewhere around starting district or, you know, that, that first week of district. So, you know, it's just trying trying to keep them engaged and motivated and just keeping it new so, so they're not burnt out by the time we get the okay to go. And next week, you guys are going to be starting on-campus learning again on Monday. But talk about the challenges of you're going to see half of the guys half of the time. And, I mean, you're going to see them all every day at practice. But just talk about the challenges of not seeing them, you know, throughout the day at school. Right. Well, right now, you know, we're virtual. So so the, the workouts are uh, kind of, you know, they're tough. You know, and that's one thing that's kind of weighing on me right now because I'm a big believer in the weight room, you know, and, you know, but we don't want to keep them here till six thirty, seven o'clock at night. When, right now, either so, you, you, we try we try to balance it. Uh, next week, I'm I'm actually looking forward to the AB stuff because those kids can get back 
uh, into a little bit more of an even, even normal routine, even though it's not going to be normal, you know, but waking up and coming to school, you know, like, like they've done in the past. And I'm just excited to get them back, you know, in, in the weight room and, uh, you know, having my hands on them more, more than, than I, than I do now. Very good. We heard, you know, from Mr. Bonine a couple of weeks ago, and they were talking about, well, it maybe be a six-game schedule, maybe be a seven-game schedule, maybe be an eight-game schedule, and they left a lot of options open. Have you guys gotten any guidance since then in terms of, hey, this is exactly how many games we're going to play? Yeah, I mean, the last I heard, it, it was going to be eight, you know, but that, that's not from uh, Mr. Bonine himself. That's just kind of the word that we're hearing, uh, looking at like an eight-game schedule. Uh, you know, like, like I say, they spot the ball. We'll be ready to play. I just hope at some point we, we can spot the ball and play. You know, I know our kids deserve it. And, uh, as coaches, we, we're excited to see them, to see, to see them play, you know, go against somebody else. And, uh, you know, you, you got, you got, you're out there and you gotta, you gotta steady stay on our guys. You know, we, we can't hit, you know, and because, because they're, they're ready to go. And, and that's a good thing. Uh, so that, that's kind of what we're hearing. It's, it's going to be around that eight game deal. But like I say, nothing official, you know, from the LHSAA. Uh, but but what we telling our guys is, you know, when they spot it, we're going to be ready to play. So limited in what you can and can't do. Um, you could do a little ball handling and, you know, some uh, kind of shell stuff. Uh, talk about how the kids have looked so far doing that. I know it's hard to evaluate, and they always say, you know, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. So until the kids start getting hit, you know, it's hard. Gonna, it's going to be hard to gauge. But so far, based on what you're able to do, how's everything looking? It's looking great, man. You know, we get we get better every day. Yeah, we got a long way to go. And, uh, you know, you hit the nail on the head. You know, it looks good when, when you're walking through and everything's going the way it's supposed to be going. But it all changes when, you know, you can hit each other and then it, take it a step further. When those lights cut on on Friday night and the team in another color shows up, it changes it, you know. And uh, so, so right now from what we're seeing, we like what we're seeing. And, look, we have good days and, and we have bad days. And, we go back and we evaluate the tape, and it's never as good, it's never as bad that, as we think. Uh, so, so we take we take what we need to take every day, and we correct it. You know, the next day when they come in, we'll watch the tape and uh, we make corrections, and they do a good job. You know, going out there and trying to, you know, take what we just talked about um, from the tape and, and bringing it outside. You know, and but like I say, you got you got to why everything's tricky. You know, we got we got I think we got like three meeting rooms going because they can't all be in the same area. We're trying to keep them, you know, in their groups. So they're watching it, you know, with, with certain people every day and they six feet apart and they ask a question and you can't really hear them because we all got masks on. And so, I mean, there's challenges, you know, Casey, but we're doing, we're doing the best we can do. And, um, you know, just trying to get better every day and trying to, you know, follow those guidelines. How uh, difficult is that? And then that, that's a perfect segue to the next question I was going to ask is that, you know, as a head football coach, I know that the instinct at times would probably be, hey, let's get all the guys together. We're going to learn about one another. We're going to do some, you know, we're going to build some chemistry. But now you've got to have them in groups. And, you know, player A may not see player B, you know, very much at all. And yet they're on the same team and they're, they've got the same goals and the same challenges on Friday nights. How difficult is that to have the guys together but also apart at the same time? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult. You know, it's nothing that I'm used to or any of us are used to. And and, that, and that's the crazy thing. You know, I heard uh, Coach Monica talk the other day on, on a uh, on a deal on social media, and it's just uh, he, they fighting the same thing. You know, it's football, and we can't hit, and they can't be around each other. And, you know, you, you're doing drills, and the kids are not close, you know. So you're trying to piece it together. And, you know, when you get to okay, you're going to have the, all these groups come together that hadn't, 
you know, hadn't done anything with each other yet, you know. So it's a challenge, man. There's no doubt about it. It's a challenge, um, you know. But like I say, the way the way I see it is whatever we have to do, you know, to give these kids a season and let these players play and let and let us let the coaches coach. You know, I'm on board for. Assuming, and this is a big assumption, assuming we could get into phase three at the end of this month and then start to you know rev up some of the contact and everything that we're you know allowed to do based on some of the guidelines. Um, how do you get the guys, you know, to kind of safely get into that? Because of course we're worried about COVID, but also, I mean, day one, you guys can't be, you know, crushing everybody in practice. You know, you got to kind of ease their bodies into that. Talk about, you know, the the stages of, you know, gradually easing them into where they need to go. Right. You know, just, uh, like I say, a lot lot of that depends on, like like you said, if the governor moves into the phase three or not, and then, you know, the guidelines by the LHSAA and, you know, we, we there's a line you gotta you gotta kind of teeter because we gotta see who you know who's physical and who's not and you know kind of the mindset we we bring in is you don't have a choice you know uh, it, it's either you gotta be physical um, or you just don't play so but you you gotta you gotta be careful how you're doing it you know especially in today's today's high school football setting and I got you know at all levels so uh, you know we. we We'll, we'll cross when we when we get there. You know, we'll meet as a staff and we'll uh, we'll go about what we think, you know, collaborative uh, collaboratively. What we think is a, is the best bet for for, uh, for our players. I've asked so many coaches this question, and I'm looking forward to hear your answer on it. Is some of the things that you guys have to do? You got to keep the kids separated on the sidelines. The kids on the sidelines have to wear a mask and this, that, and the other. You guys already have a smaller than normal staff for a for a high school football program. Who's going to police that? Like, are you going to ask your assistants to do that? Or are you going to ask Ms. Jeremy to give you, you know, some faculty members to help out on Fridays? Because you guys got a, t- a tall task and uh, you're already limited in terms of the number of people you have. Right, right. You know, our varsity staff uh, consists of, you know, eight guys, including me. And, and that that's kind of what we're talking about right now. We're trying to get into the mindset of it, you know, right now when we outside, keeping them separated. And, you know, our guys policing, our, our coaches policing the sideline you know, making sure that we distance and we have masks on. And, you know, like I say, you know, you're dealing with, with high school kids and I'm sure it's like that at every level, you know, they, they want to socialize so bad, you know, and then they want to, they want to interact with each other. And you just, we, you know, you got to make sure they understand the severity of it. So, you know, we keeping them separated right now. I practice all coaches um, Friday night wise, you know, if you, if you're not, if you're not on the field, you know, so, you know, for example, defense on the field, and, and offense is on the bench, you know, reviewing what the sky coach or the huddle sideline. You know, we, we got to be just cognizant of, of the the kids on the sideline, making sure we separate. And like you say, that's an that's an added task, you know, on a Friday night, which you already got a lot of stuff going on. You know, you're making sure you got enough people out there on the special teams, and you're making sure you're getting stuff corrected. You know, series to series, you're making in-game adjustments, and you know, putting your kids in the best place to be successful. And now all of a sudden. You got you got to make sure that they they all have their mask on and they separated, you know. And our trainer is going to play a big role in that as well, uh, policing the sidelines, making sure you know our kids are doing what they're supposed to be doing. How important is it this year to have depth and to make sure that those backups are ready? Because look, you guys could do all of these things until the cows come home. There are going to be certain players who are going to test positive for this, most likely. And that's going to mean that, hey, on some Friday nights, you know, you may be without your right guard. You may be without, you know, your middle linebacker or whatever it may be. How important is it to make sure that those backups are not only there and present, but are ready to go on Friday nights? Oh, it's, 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 it's very important. You know, uh, you always one play away. And, and that's been the case as long as I've played and, and, and 
the 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 year that I've coached, you know, you 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 one play away, you never know, you know. So uh, it's the same mindset we bring in now, and we we make sure that you know our reps are split up to make sure we get our, our you know our ones reps, our immediate backups reps, and uh, you know so long so on and so forth, because it you know especially now in like we say in today's setting more than in the past, you you you're definitely one play away, you're one day away because you. you you might not get hurt on the field or like that, but you can get sick, you know. So more or less than one play away, you, you, you're one minute away, I guess you can say. Very good. And and we're going to talk about your skill guys a little bit in a minute, but tell us about your guys up front, how the guys looking on the offense and defensive lines, and do you like what you have there? Yeah, we, we got kids that play hard, you know, and it's a good thing to me that you got you got to pull them back a little bit right now. You know, I'd be a little more concerned if, if we were way more lethargic uh, and we have to pull it out of them. But, you know, we got kids who work hard and who are excited to be here. And, look, we coach them hard now, you know, because they have to know that there's a standard to be met, and if they don't meet that standard, that's going to get corrected. Uh, but but we have we have kids who try, you know, who, who give everything they got every play, you know, 100%. Uh, but I'm very, I, you know, I'm impressed. I'm impressed with, with what we're doing so far. And, look, it's only been two short weeks. And, and like I said before, we have a lot of work to do, you know, to get to where we need to get to to compete. You know, to win football games, and uh, but I'm confident that we'll get there uh, because of the guys we have on staff coaching, and because of the kids that we have in our locker room. Offensively, moving to that spread offense, changing a lot of guys. I know you had joked in the past that everybody was a running back before. Moving a lot of those running backs into you know skill positions, tight end, receiver, whatever it may be. How are some of those guys looking in their new roles? They're doing good. You know, they're doing good. They they adapted well. It's obvious that they go home and, and that they look, they review their, their plays. Or we leave them with something every day to go home and get better at. And, and it's, it's obvious that they do that because, you know, you know, they're getting better. And, you know, just like the bigs, the bigs up front, you know, we, we got work to do. And, you know, like we have good days and we have days that's not so good, you know. And, and But that's the nature of the game. And, uh, you know, we just correct it and we keep getting better. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, very, I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased with what I've seen so far. Uh, from our guys, and, and like I say, the learning curve has been drastic. You know, there's, I mean, I can't even tell you how many formations and how many just pass plays that we run, you know, and we still got to put in the RPOs, and, you know, we, we briefly, you know, we was on a lightning delay yesterday, so, you know, we under the stadium and in the gym just, you know, putting in some of our play action and our naked stuff, and so we got we got a ways to go, and but we have a lot in, and, and they've taken it in well. Uh, main thing we preach to them is just because we put something new in, you can't lose what we what we already put in. You know our bread and butter. You can't you can't forget, you know what we have because we added a new little wrinkle. Very good. And before we let you go, eight game schedule. Um, assuming it's an eight game schedule, that means it's going to be two fewer games to kind of find that groove and find that rhythm. And and the teams that are going to make the playoffs are going to be the teams that are clicking at all cylinders right away. How do you um, you know, make sure that the kids have hey. There's a sense of urgency here. We've got a we've got a roll from the the first whistle here on the, on that first Friday night. Yeah, and it's even taking a step further. You know, no no scrimmage, no jamboree, and, and we got kids who's going to take snaps on Friday that that hasn't played football before. You know, they came out, and we're going to put the best twenty two that we have. You know, and regardless if you know you know if you, you didn't play last year or you know, but if you came all summer and, and you and you've been present every day and or at most of the days and. You are you one of the best, and you're going to play. But like we said before, you know, the lights turn on Friday. It's a little different, and especially when somebody else in a different color jersey shows up. So, you know, we we need every every snap we can get. So, 
yeah, losing week one and two is huge, but 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 even more for us as a scrimmage and a jamboree to kind of see him in live action before, you know, we go into that first game trying to put our best 22 out there. Uh, it, it, it makes it it's a, little, it's a little more difficult, but, you know, like we tell we tell the guys, it's like, it's like life, you know, it's adversity. You know, in life, things ain't going to always go as planned, and, you know, you, how are you going to handle it? Are you going to fold or are you, you going to push to be better, you know, and push to get it corrected? So, and that's kind of how how we 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 approaching it, man. You know, it's it's difficult, yeah, but but it's it's life, and um, you know, I, I can assure you this, right now at Central Lafourche, and I, I can tell you right now, they don't care, you know, if if we've been getting it in or how we feel about the situation, and you know, and vice versa. You know, the, when the teams that you play on Friday night, they, they don't care about how you feel about a situation. They come in to win the football game, and and that's vice versa. That's us too. You know, so we, we have to be ready to go, and, and I believe we will be. Very good. Well, look, Coach, we thank so much for the time, and we'll chat again soon, okay? Absolutely, man. I appreciate you. Yes, sir. We thank Coach Young for his time, as always. He's always so very generous and gracious with his time. He's going to do a great job in Tarpon Land. We look forward to watching what he and the boys do throughout the fall. Let's catch a quick break. When we get back, I'm going to talk NBA playoffs. I'm going to talk about the unwritten rules of baseball. I'm going to talk about... Um, a whole lot of different things. We're going to have our sports betting blitz, make my PGA Tour picks, all that and more. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LaFoucheGazette.com. We'll be right back after this break. Hey, guys, I know it's a commercial break, but it's me again. But I want to tell you guys a big secret. I know how you guys could get the news in LaFouche Parish, the hottest news, all the things that all your friends and all your family members are talking about first before everyone else. How? By getting the LaFouche Gazette app. Go to your app store, get the LaFouche Gazette app today. You'll get push notifications right to your phone anytime anything breaks, anytime anything exciting happens, anytime there's anything going on in LaFouche Parish that people are talking about, we're going to be talking about it, and we're going to send it right to your phone. So go to the LaFouche Gazette app, find it on your app store today, download it, 100% free, 100% news, 100% local, 100% all the time. Download the LaFouche Gazette app today. You think you know me. On this day, I see clearly everything is come to life. Place in a I thank BJ Young for his time. He's going to do a wonderful job at South Lafouche. You guys can hear the energy and the passion and the intensity in his voice. Those boys love him. They're going to enjoy playing for him a little later in the fall. I thank James Ellsworth for his time. We've been blessed with two great calling guests today, as we always are. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LaFoucheGazette.com. We're going to talk some sports now, kind of give a little lay of the land here. Uh, by the way, if you like us, go go find us on iTunes, Casey's Corner. Subscribe. Uh, give us a five-star rating. That will allow us to reach more people in this little community that we're trying to build of people who are you know, following local sports and are passionate about local sports, but also like some of the national stuff, like some of the wrestling stuff, whatever it may be. So do that for us if you don't mind. But diving into this sports segment now, we've actually got a lot to talk about. Um, we're going to talk about things going on in the NBA bubble. I'm going to break down the postseason series by series. I love NBA basketball. I'm very opinionated about this. I'm going to give some hot takes and some things that people may agree or disagree with, whatever it may be. Um, talk very briefly about the MLB. We're going to talk very briefly about Darius Geis, a little bit of NFL, 
Then we'll make our PGA Tour playoff picks, get our sports betting blitz, SummerSlam predictions, and then we'll wrap up. But the meat and potatoes of this sports update are going to be centered on the NBA because in the world of sports right now, I mean, that's that's just kind of the hottest thing going. Um, so as I'm recording this right now, as I said, it's Wednesday night. The Celtics are creaming the 76ers. So as I record this segment, that game is going on in the third quarter. We're going to assume Boston hangs on and goes up 2 nothing. But if I have to change my tone, you know, if Philadelphia makes a comeback or whatever while recording, we'll change our stance, change our tone, change our opinions, whatever we've got to do. We've got the game on and watching it as we record. Um, we're going to break down the series one by one. And we'll start out in the West with the 1-8 matchup. And I was on this show, and I was very pointed and candid and, and very open about saying, man, like you guys that are picking Portland, are making a big mistake. Like Portland doesn't have a chance to beat the Lakers. You know, the Lakers have just been shadow boxing and uh, the Lakers are, are not going to lose to an eight seed. They're not going to lose to Damian Lillard and Carmelo Anthony and this, that, and the other, you know, all the different trash that I was talking. Well, my basis for that was Portland's defense I thought was terrible. And I thought that the Lakers struggling offense would kind of find an elixir in facing Portland. Portland coming into game one had allowed a hundred or more points in 37 straight games. That streak is snapped. Portland beat the Lakers 100-93 in Game 1. Um, I don't know what's going to happen the rest of this series. I tend to believe the Lakers right the ship enough to get by Portland. But regardless, they're in big trouble. Big, 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 big trouble. They are not a factor in the title picture if they play offense the way that they played offense in this bubble. And I think that it's a systematic problem that I'm not sure is going to get better. And like, here's what I mean by that. They remind me of a bitty basketball team. And I know you guys are saying, well, what the heck are you talking about a bitty basketball team? This is an NBA team. In bitty basketball, like you've got one kid who does most of your dribbling. He's usually, you know, the coach's son or whatever may be your best player, plays point guard, does most of your dribbling by and large. The other kids are catch-and-shoot players. They may dribble a little bit, but by and large, that one guy handles the ball. The Lakers are that. Watch the Lakers play. No one else dribbles the ball besides LeBron James. He does 100% of the ball handling, 100% of the playmaking, 100% of the creating. And like you could get away with that when you're with the Cleveland Cavs and you're facing the Washington Wizards in the first round of the playoffs, a 35-win team. Or you could get away with that when you're in the Eastern Conference Finals taking on an Atlanta Hawks team led by Josh Smith. You can't get away with that in the Western Conference. And the Lakers have got to figure out, A, do we want to continue to be clumsy playing all these big guys, playing Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee? Do we want to continue to be clumsy? Or B, do we want to get into the new century of NBA and actually play basketball as an ESPN video pops up on my screen that I'll have to pause? Do we actually want to play basketball like everybody else is playing it? And do we have the personnel to actually do it? If I were running that team first, I would do a couple of things. Caldwell Pope, like, can't play. He was 0-9 yesterday. He's terrible. He can't play. He's not good on either side of the court. I would get him out of the lineup. I'd put Alex Caruso into the game, who I think helps them. I think he does a lot of little things. You know, he'll get on the floor, die for loose balls. I think he's a, a gritty gutsy player I think he helps teams win I would play Caruso more I would get him into that starting lineup second thing is 
you've got to play Kyle Kuzma. Like, you've got to tell Anthony Davis. And I know Anthony Davis doesn't want to be a center. That's cool. I don't want to do a lot of things that I actually do on a day-to-day basis, but it's part of life. Like, the fact that he doesn't want to do it um, doesn't mean that they shouldn't ask him to do it. You play JaVale McGee, who's awful. You play Dwight Howard, who's awful. And you, you just create these awkward lineups without any spacing, without any ability to extend defenses. And then it makes it very easy to pack the paint, which takes away Anthony Davis and LeBron's greatest strengths. Yesterday in game one, Lakers made five three-pointers. Like, that's one quarter of basketball for the Rockets. We'll talk about them in a minute. They're 5 of 32 from the three-point line. And going back to that thing that we said about LeBron, 16 assists in the game. Yeah, that's awesome. But as a team, they only had 22 assists. So LeBron James was creating 16 of their 22 assists. Like, that's just the balls in his hands too much. No one else on that team could create anything. They're so dependent on him to create and, and and get good offense and good rhythm for other players that they just don't have enough. They're one guard short, and I know they're getting Rajon Rondo back soon, but what does that do? Okay, that takes Danny Green off the court more. That takes, you know, some of your shooters, Caruso, Waiters, that takes those guys off of the court more. Rondo ain't shooting it and scoring it for you. So, that's going to make their spacing even worse, and their offense is just a complete eyesore. And on Portland's end, I mean, Lillard, Lillard and those guys are balling. This is not a traditional eight seed. If this team were healthy and intact, they wouldn't have been the eight seed. I would have favored them over both Utah and Denver and probably Oklahoma City. So I think they're in the upper echelon of the Western Conference, and now the Lakers are in a struggle because now you've got a Portland team that's hungry, has already beaten you, and now Loki believes that they could win the series. So game two is going to be one of the bigger games in LeBron James's career because, man, if you come out west and your first playoff series out west, you get beat by an eight seed. Oh, Lordy, the Crows are going to be chirping. This is going to be a big game for the Lakers. They've got to win game two, must win for them. I'm excited to watch it. In the Eastern Conference, um, the Orlando Magic defeated the Milwaukee Bucks 122 to 110. So the second number one seed goes down. Um, what's surprising is not that the Bucks lost, because you know, hey, in basketball it happens. But it's the fact that like Orlando kicked their ass from the beginning of the game to the end. Like they were better in every quarter, and it wasn't a fluke. Like you couldn't just say, well, Giannis had a bad game, or Giannis was in foul trouble, or Chris Middleton was in foul trouble, or whatever it may be. Like. The Bucks guys played their minutes, did their thing, and Orlando just beat them. And it goes back to what we said earlier in the in the episodes here in the archives, which is I don't think Milwaukee's a factor out west because I don't think they're diverse enough to get this done. Um, Middleton yesterday, 14 points, 4 of 12 shooting. Bledsoe, I told you guys from the very beginning, I think he hurts their team. I thought they played better in the – seeding games when he wasn't in the lineup yesterday 5 of 11 15 points and then there's just not a whole lot there and and they win a lot of regular season games because Giannis is a freight train he lowers his head he puts his head down he goes to the goal strong and in the regular season when guys aren't hustling and aren't trying it's they don't want to get in front of the freight train they don't want to take the charges and they don't want to defend them hard enough to slow them down but in the playoffs when that effort and intensity is there it becomes a little more difficult for him too. He wasn't his usual efficient self. Twelve of twenty-five. He wasn't the you know the super duper Giannis that we're used to seeing. 
Do I think that Orlando has enough to sustain this? No, I think the, the Bucks are going to win in five games, six games, whatever it may be. But it, it's going to be a prelude. I think that game one is a prelude to what we're going to see them struggle with in the future, which is that they just get very clumsy offensively at times because they lack a second true star player. You know, Middleton's a nice story. Bledsoe thinks he's a number one option when he's not even number three or number four option. But they lack that true number two guy. So we look at the the rest of the Western Conference bracket. We talked about the one versus eight matchup, and then we'll break down kind of how the rest of the things fall from the top of the bracket to the bottom. Um, you guys know I'm a big Houston Rockets fan. Uh, so the fact that they beat Oklahoma City 123 to 108 in the four five matchup game one uh, obviously excited me, made me happy, made me you know get crunk and you know fired up, whatever it may be. Um, but taking away my fandom and just putting on an, an objective basketball fan hat. If Houston defends that way for the remainder of the postseason, and if their role players make shots like that for the remainder of the postseason, this is going to be a team that is not going to be easy to be rid of in the postseason. They're going to be a team that is going to be capable of playing with anyone that they go up against and for my dollar, it would be favored to beat the Lakers should those teams cross paths in the next round. Houston got the usual dominance from James Harden, 37 points, 12 of 22 shooting, 6 of 13 from the three-point line, 37 points, 11 rebounds, three assists. He was unbelievable. He always is unbelievable. He's the best offensive player that we've seen in the last decade in basketball, one of the best offensive players we've ever seen in the game of basketball. Um that he's still not to this day appreciated just is, is a you problem. It's not a him problem. He's historically good. The history books are going to be kind to James Harden because the numbers that he's post, posting on a yearly basis are absolutely insane. If you can't appreciate that, then you just don't love the game enough or you don't understand how hard it is to do the things that he's doing. But anyway, more important than Harden is the fact that he got 21 from Eric Garden yesterday. He got... 22 from Jeff Green, who has come out of nowhere and has revitalized his career. Ben McLemore, 14 points, 4 of 7 from 3. P.J. Tucker hitting shots. Robert Covington didn't hit shots yesterday, but is capable of hitting shots. Daniel House made some plays yesterday. And oh yeah, they're missing their second all-star, Russell Westbrook, who's going to get back in the next couple of games. Like This is a team that they're trying something out. They're trying no center lineup. I don't think you need centers anymore in the NBA. I'm watching the Philadelphia 76ers right now get crushed. They have supposedly the best center in the league still getting crushed. The game before this, I watched the Denver Nuggets, supposedly the second best center in the league. They got crushed as another pop-up ad shows up on my browser. Um, I don't think you need centers anymore in the NBA. I think that uh, if you could just be long and versatile defensively, I think that post-offense is not needed. I think it's inefficient. And case in point, yesterday Oklahoma City got 17 points, 12 rebounds from Steven Adams, and it was completely empty stats because it meant nothing in the grand picture of the game. He was completely non-impactful, got his numbers, so to speak, but Houston ran him out of the gym. The 3-6 matchup in the West is interesting to me, and we'll talk about that one here. That was a game that happened today, which again, I'm recording this on Wednesday. Um, Denver beat Utah um, 
fluking a prayer in game one. Utah gave that one away. And, and you know, game two, they didn't make the same mistake. Denver got crushed today in game two. Utah put it on a big 124 to 105. I think that this is the most entertaining of the eight first round series. Um, I don't think either of these two teams could even remotely challenge the Clippers in the second round. I think that Dallas, the team the Clippers are currently playing, is going to be more of a challenge to them than what Utah or Denver will be. But I think Utah and Denver together makes for competitive games. And Donovan Mitchell has been just lights out flawless in this series, man. Game one, putting up a gazillion points, coming up short, losing in overtime. Then today, 30 points, 8 assists, 10 of 14 shooting. Utah was on fire, couldn't miss. They got 7 of 10 from Gobert, 7 of 12 from Joel Ingles. Royce O'Neal with three or four from three. Like they just had one of those days where they could they couldn't miss. So now game three, we're split even one to one. Utah should get some guys back. They're gonna get Mike Conley back. I favor Utah slightly going forward, but I think this one goes seven. I think these teams are equally matched. And I think that if I were Denver, I would be doing the best that I can in the coming days to get Nikola Jokic off the basketball. Nikola Jokic is a center. He's big. He's tall. He's strong. They got his ass dribbling way too much. And I get that, you know, he's he could do it, but he's not as good of a playmaker as Jamal Murray and some of their other weapons. The fact that you have a center who could play point guard is cool. It's a neat story, but it doesn't mean that he should be playing point guard. Get his big ass inside because that's where he makes most of an impact. I hate, hate, hate with a passion watching him extract energy and and just be dribbling and and because a it does two things a it drains gas from his tank and b he's slow it takes them forever to get into their offensive sets and it feels like it's always a rush against the shot clock because they're so slow getting into their sets because their point guard is is laboring to get up the floor so that series is going to be entertaining and then of course you got Dallas and the Clippers in the Western Conference. I, as you hear thunder rolling here in the Southeast Louisiana uh, weather storm. Uh, the Clippers, I think, are the best team in the NBA. Dallas challenged them in game one and maybe would have beat them if the NBA wouldn't have bogusly thrown Kristaps Porzingis out of the game. Dallas just doesn't have enough. I don't know how game two is going to go by the time you guys are listening to this. That game will already have been decided. But I think the Clippers are going to roll there. I think they're the best team in the NBA. And I think it, it actually sets up very nicely for the Clippers going forward because I don't think either Utah nor Denver could challenge them. I think that the bracket for the Clippers is, is looking pretty smooth. They just got they could just hurt you so many ways. I mean, aside from the two star players in, in George and Leonard, you got Lou Williams, you got um, you know, uh, just so many guys. Just a, a depth of talent. Patrick Beverly's not a scorer, but I mean he could obviously hurt you defensively but I'm going to break down their box score you know Montrez Harrell and it's impossible to key in on anybody because they have so many role players the Clippers Marcus Morris senior game won 19 points Zubac 10 points Beverly 8 points Kawhi and George both nearly had 30 um break down the rest of the uh Jermichael Green great player Montrez Harrell Reggie Jackson Lou Williams uh uh, um, Landry Shamet uh, they got Patrick Patterson, who doesn't even play on this team. Like, they're so deep. They hit you in so many waves. Most teams in the league, 
even the playoff teams have one or two guys that they're throwing in there and they're just chewing up minutes and and they're not going to be productive minutes but they're just in there chewing up minutes just to buy time the Clippers have nobody who's in their rotation who's just buying time everybody on that team could play and could play at a high level and that makes them extremely dangerous the 4-5 matchup in the Eastern Conference is going to be um I think very competitive. The Miami Heat lead the series right now 1-0 over Indiana after a 113-101 victory. Jimmy Butler was key in that one, 28 points. Uh, Dragic had 24 points. Miami is an interesting team because I think Miami um, is being forgot about. And like we spend so much time talking about Boston. We spend so much time talking about Milwaukee. We spend you know a lot of time talking about some of the other teams. Um, who are doing their, you know, Toronto gets some attention because they're the defending champions. I think Miami's right up there with some of the big dogs. Um, and if they get by Indiana, I think that they could challenge Milwaukee. I don't know if they could beat them, but I think they could challenge Milwaukee. They've got a, a, a very uh, veteran-laden core. Jay Crowder, Goran Dragic, Jimmy Butler, Andre Iguodala. They've got guys who have played in the biggest games before. I favor them over Indiana. But I love the way Indiana plays. Uh, and, and it's also worth noting that they lost that game one matchup. Victor Oladipo hardly played. And they didn't get run off of the floor even with him out of the lineup. So that series is going to be old school basketball. Very intense, very physical. I expect Miami to come out of it. Um, but I think that that could be six or seven very hard fought games. The 3-6 matchup is playing out right now. Boston is going to go over Philadelphia 2-0. Uh, Philadelphia without Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid doing the best that he can. They just don't play enough defense. The 76ers are woefully coached. Uh, Coach Brown needs to be removed from that situation. Uh, just not getting it done. Um, they've had talent. They they tanked and they tried to get the draft picks. And the whole thing about trusting the process and all the cute things and all the little phrases that you better cash in on the draft picks. And they didn't, uh, in my opinion. You get Markel Fultz who didn't pan out. You had Ben Simmons who I think is a loser. Um, still doesn't have a jump shot, very limited, uh, likes to talk the talk, but can't walk the walk. And you got Joel Embiid, who I don't think you need a big guy anymore. Like in the NBA, like at basketball used to be all size. It used to be the sport where we thought if you were not tall, you literally couldn't play it. Um, it's so different now. And I can make the the argument that like you don't want the seven footer anymore. You would be better off with a team full of six seven, six eight, six nine guys who are versatile and who could shoot from distance and who could make you know shots from far away and but who could who could also penetrate, but who could defend the rim and like Joel Embiid just feels like yeah he's a phenomenal center, phenomenal talent, but it's just he's got injury concerns. He's got dedication concerns, but he's a little bit of a he's a little bit of a fruit. He's kind of out there, and he's just at a position that is a dinosaur. And Boston is running them out of the gym in this game. Game one was close and competitive, and the Philadelphia 76ers got to figure out what they're going to do going forward because they have a lot of money invested in that two-man core. That I think they're and I think they're miles away from winning the championship, and they have zero cap space. Why did you sign Al Horford? You already have Joel Embiid. Um, why don't you use Tobias Harris more? You spent a boatload of money on him. They're a team out east, and whenever we finally get done with this season, that is going to be so intriguing to follow going forward because they have so much potential to 
really come apart at the seams. And they have tradable assets. They have guys that other teams would maybe want. So I, I look to see, will they keep the core intact or will they blow it up? I don't know, but I could see it going either way because there are arguments to be made on both sides of that fence. Last matchup, the Toronto Raptors are up 2-0 over the Brooklyn Nets. Um, first and foremost, kudos to the, the Brooklyn Nets players. They're playing hard. They're competing. They're going to get beat probably in four games against Toronto. I get that. But it's not anybody on Brooklyn's current team's fault that their star player, Kevin Durant, is a coward and refuses to play unless if he's an NBA championship contender. Um, those guys are playing as hard as they can doing the best that they can. Jacques Vaughn is not going to be the head coach of this team going forward. He's been thrown into an impossible situation, and he's made it work to the best of his ability. The fact that these games are even close is is showing that you know those guys have a lot of heart. Jared Allen's playing well. Garrett freaking Temple, man. Garrett, Garrett Temple had 21 points today. I went to LSU with Garrett Temple. Garrett Temple was the fifth or sixth option on a college basketball team, and he's now a second or third option on an NBA playoff team. So he's developed his game so much. So proud of Garrett and what he's doing. The Nets have some guys. Like, whenever they do finally get Kyrie and Durant back, Joe Harris is a nice piece. Temple's a good defender, 3 and D guy. Tyler, Jan uh, Tyler Johnson's a good piece. Um, like, they've got some stuff to work with. It's obviously not their year. But Toronto's just shadow boxing with him. Toronto played as bad as you could physically play today and still won because they just decided in the fourth quarter, hey, we're going to stop goofing around and we're going to get this thing done. Um, Toronto's a bit of a sleeper, man. Like they're, they're the defending champions. No one thinks they have a chance anymore because Kawhi Leonard is gone. But Pascal Siakam could play. Lowry Van Vliet has taken his game to another level. He was exceptional today. He's been exceptional and they just hit you in waves. They play hard. Do I think they could challenge a Western Conference team? I don't. Um, but do I think they could win the East? Sure as hell think they could. I think that they could muddy up those games with the with the Bucks should those teams meet in the Eastern Conference Finals. And that's the thing about the East. Like While I don't think any of the Eastern Conference teams are a contender to win it all, I think that the Eastern Conference playoffs are going to provide good matchups, good series, good rough physical series, and good old-school basketball. So that wraps up our NBA talk. Um, I'm still going Clippers to win it all, but I still think it's going to all come down to the matchups. Today, as I said, we're releasing this on Thursday. By the time you guys get this, there are going to be a couple of games that have already been going off. Um, my Rockets play at 2.30 on Thursday. Uh, today. Um, so I'm going to be rocking and rolling, ripping and raving, getting ready to root on my team. You got Miami and Indiana at noon, then Houston, then the, the Orlando-Milwaukee matchup, then Portland and the Lakers. So curious to see how it all shakes out. These playoffs have been just amazing. Talk some MLB for a minute. Very, very brief. Um, but we'll talk about this and then kind of go on a little bit of a rant. First off, uh, to brag. Um, no MLB team is currently locked out of games based on COVID-19. So to every single Karen out there, to every single negative Nancy who was calling on them to close the season and shut everything down and close everything in life down, um, you're a moron and you're misguided and you have no clue what you're talking about. Um, the MLB system remains undefeated to this point. Um, 
and they continue to prove that if you do the right things and take the right precautions, that you can proceed forward and do the things that you're used to doing. Every team right now is playing. That's amazing to see. The Reds were locked down briefly, but they controlled and limited their outbreak and are already back out on the field. The Cardinals had a big outbreak. They're already back out onto the field, though they were shut down for a while. They're back at it, playing a bunch of doubleheaders, and the Marlins have been back for a while. And we've not had, as you hear, my goodness, a loud roar of thunder. Uh, We've not had any type of serious issue now in baseball for now many, many weeks. So it just goes to show that um, it's trial and error. We're going to learn. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to do things right. We're going to do things wrong. We're going to learn from the the mistakes, and we're going to embrace and and extend upon the things that we do right. Major League Baseball had a rough start, but they fixed it, and they're doing things now better than what they've done in the last several weeks. So now let's talk about the baseball stuff that everybody wants to talk about. The unwritten rules of baseball, and what does Casey think about the unwritten rules of baseball? And this is all stemming on Fernando Tatis Jr. for the Padres, who... If you haven't seen him play, um, watch him play. He's an exceptional young player. Um, Fernando Tatis Jr. drew a little bit of heat uh, recently because he hit a grand slam home run in a blowout, swinging on a 3-0 pitch. And apparently there's an unwritten rule in baseball saying that you shouldn't swing 3-0 if if the game is lopsided, um, because it's in bad taste or whatever it may be. Well, look. The unwritten rules of baseball are part of the reason why the sport is declining in popularity. Among the unwritten rules of baseball are um, you get revenge at somebody um, by throwing a fastball 100 miles an hour at their back, and if you miss, you may hit them in the head and kill them. Um, That's an unwritten rule of baseball that, you know, I never understood. You know, and and the, the rules continue. You know, you shouldn't steal signs, and you shouldn't do this, and you shouldn't do that, and... Tatis actually drew the ear again the next day because he stole a base and the game was a little bit out of hand. He stole third base. And like all of the unwritten rules of baseball are teams that are getting their ass kicked, that are angry that they're getting their ass kicked, and they want you to not do anything more to further kick their ass. And my argument would be to all of those people moaning and crying and whining, is that if you don't want to get your ass kicked, instead of complaining about the person who is kicking your ass, why don't you do more work and dedicate more effort and more time into your craft and maybe you won't be getting your ass kicked so often to where you have to worry about how uh, the winning team is handling themselves in certain situations. The fact that we have to... um, discredit or a kid who is trying to make a name for himself in the sport for hitting a home run like that's absurd that's one of the stupidest things I've ever heard in my entire life covering sports and following sports you get paid in baseball by how many home runs you hit by how many stats you accumulate by how many RBIs you get and you know these things go often to arbitration you know a guy will have 95 RBIs and and He'll go to arbitration and the arbitral rule, hey, you get paid similar to this guy who also had 95 RBIs. So it's an arms race. You collect as many stats as you could get. And if you don't like that as a losing club, A, don't fall behind to begin with. 
B, as a pitcher, have better control. Don't fall behind 3-0. And C, don't allow the bases to be loaded. And, you know, like, would, would anybody have complained about this had the kid swung 3-0 and popped up to the second baseman? No one would have said a word. It's the losing team griping, bitching, moaning, and complaining because they got their butts kicked and a young man hit a home run on them. So, like, I think any idea that, okay, you hit a home run, you shouldn't be happy about it, or your team's winning and you shouldn't be happy about it, no, man, that that's absurd. If you want these things to not happen, then do a little more on the field to ensure that you're not getting destroyed every single time you take the field. That's my thoughts on it. Maybe I'm wrong, and, you know, baseball guy will probably tell me that that's incorrect or not the right way to think but baseball guy is probably 90 years old and has no sense of reality anyway which is the reason why the sport isn't as popular today as it once was because they've not evolved they've not done enough to to get with the times um i i i i laugh all the time at people who complain about a situation or a problem in today's world and then tell me how it was done back in the day that's all well and good, but back in the day, we also thought the world was flat. Back in the day, we also lived without indoor plumbing. Back in the day, we also didn't have the internet. Back in the day, we also didn't have cell phones. It's like life changes. And the Texas Ranger people who are complaining about this should worry about fixing their own franchise, which has never won anything substantial in my entire life. Worry more about fixing your internal ineptitude and less about the way that a young future star plays the game because if you guys scouted and drafted better you would have more players like Fernando Tatis Jr. on your roster and then you wouldn't be getting your ass kicked every single time you took the field to begin with so give me a break with these unwritten rules give me a break with telling someone how they're supposed to win and what they're supposed to do like this isn't football I I understand football late in the game you shouldn't throw the ball and Football is a physical game. You're physically dominating somebody, and by by continuing to physically dominate somebody, you could injure them, quite frankly. Baseball is different. If you throw it over the plate, I'm going to hit it. That's the name of the game. And, and the fact that we're, and I say we, uh, by and large, most people have pushed back against the initial wave of, of hatred that Tatis Jr. faced. And I'm proud of the sports media and the sports fans for pushing back against that because it's ridiculous. But just this this trying to tell people what to do and how to do it, um, it's just old school, man. The, the, the fact that it used to be done that way, it doesn't need to be done that way now. There's a lot of things that have changed, and we're far more analytical now. We're far more based on our stats now, and kudos to the kid for going chasing and getting his stats, man. I applaud that. NFL camps have opened, um, shifting gears a little bit, NFL camps have opened and like I feel like most people don't realize this. And whenever I say this, like it's not a knock to most people. Like I'm not trying to say that most people are uninformed or are not following what's going on in the world because I'm one of them. I, I'm one of the people who didn't realize this. Like the NFL starts in like three weeks, man. <laughs> September 10th, we're playing football, uh, Chiefs and the Texans. I didn't realize that we were that close. Um, so, like, we don't talk much NFL, and we got to hurry up our sports betting blitz because, like, the season's, like, right around the corner. Um, and, unfortunately, uh, some NFL talk netted some pretty bad news in the local area. Uh, LSU, former LSU tailback, Darius Geis, who 
has been released already from his Washington Redskins contract for allegations of domestic abuse, has now been accused publicly of rape. Uh, This was a story reported in national media um, that the incident was reported to school officials and they may or may not have handled it properly, um, may or may not have investigated it. No criminal charges were were filed. No discipline was faced by guys from LSU. Um, Here's what I want to say on this. I'm going to keep this very brief. Uh, but here's what I want to say on this. First off, there is guys where there's smoke, there's fire. You've now been accused of multiple things. Shame on you. Um, you have had every opportunity given to you. I understand you come from a broken home and you've had so many life obstacles, but you were taken in by good people, given a great life that so many people uh, would have loved to have. The fact that you have now gone and screwed all of that up is is despicable beyond words. You should be absolutely ashamed of yourself. Um, if you don't respect yourself, that's one thing. But if you don't respect yourself enough to where it then carries over to disrespecting other people, that's a problem. That's a serious problem that you've got to kneel before the Lord and, and ask for forgiveness and try to find ways to right yourself. That's That's terrible on you, and it's terrible on the people who have invested time into you. Second, um... To whoever helped cover this up and make this go away at LSU, whoever it may be, that's a big mistake, and that's that's one that shouldn't ever happen. Um, we live in a culture now where um, we're more pro woman, more pro minority than we've ever been before, and and I understand that while this instant uh, incident maybe didn't have the desired result of it being prosecuted and investigated fully. We're better now than what we used to be in that regard, but this incident incident shows that we're not where we need to be. Um, And then third, I keep going back to whenever Geis was getting ready to be drafted into the NFL. Um, There were all of these conversations, and he was slipping on 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 the draft night, and there were lots of reports about, hey, this guy's got skeletons in his closet. And... We need a stronger Louisiana sports media. I'm part of it. I'll take some of the blame for this myself, even though I didn't never have covered LSU since being in college. But I remember vividly when this thing was happening with guys and when he was sliding down the draft boards. I remember vividly the sports media locally mocking it making fun of it and oh they they think that Darius Geis is a bad guy because he plays video games like they don't know the real Darius Geis and instead of doing a little investigative work rubbing a little bit of elbows using a little bit of elbow grease making some connections asking some hard questions because the sports media here are closet fans of the teams that they cover the Saints media are huge Saints fans undercover. I've been in those press boxes. It's embarrassing how hard those guys are living and dying by the team's successes. LSU is no different. Um, I've been in those press boxes. It's embarrassing how much those grown men are choosing their rooting interest over their profession. If we would have just asked harder questions and investigated this more, this could have maybe come to light at a sooner period. But instead, it was easier for the radio talk show host to cut a scathing segment about video games and things that weren't the issue, pretending to know more than the NFL scouts who dig dirt deeper than those radio hosts could ever imagine digging because those people are actually 
trained investigative reporters, unlike the radio host who just, you know, knows how to take calls and do whatever it may be. So the fact that the instinct was to call the NFL scouts and the, the NFL investigators liars because they don't know the real story. No, brother, you don't know the real story because you're incapable of being anything other than a fanboy homer. And that's a shame. And and more, um, perhaps more young people wouldn't get hurt if we wouldn't give such um, immunity to these student athletes and to these professional athletes. And we would have, you know, a little bit of a harder and a little bit more of a, of a, um, uh, non-biased and impartial media who was actually holding some of these people's feet to the coals every once in a while, and I'll leave it at that. We're going to make our PGA Tour playoff picks today. Uh, we've got the PGA Tour playoffs that are going to be starting. I can't wait. I love PGA Tour playoff time. All the best of the best are going to be playing this week, so it's going to be difficult to find a true sleeper and you know to pick a a shark everybody's a shark this week it's the northern trust um so we're gonna go our shark which is gonna be the guy that is a name brand player who we think is going to play really well i'm going to go rory mcelroy this week i think rory's gonna play well he's 14 to 1 mcelroy's long off the tee good with his irons he plays well in pga tour playoff events historically so give me rory mcelroy to be your shark this week your sleeper this week, believe it or not, I'm going to go Tiger Woods here. Tiger Woods is 33-1, to 1, hasn't played well since returning to the tour, has been hit or miss. Tiger's been actually playing and practicing a lot more lately. I think Tiger Woods is going to be in strong contention this week. And your pick to win the event, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go a little bit out there this week. I'm going to say, let me go through the list here, because I was picking a few of them. I'm going to go Justin Rose this week. Justin Rose is 50-1, to 1, which is actually worse odds than Tiger Woods, who's my sleeper. But I'm going to go Justin Rose to win this week. Justin Rose is one of those guys that we never talk about when we're making a list of all the best players. We never mention his name. We never you know, talk about you know, will he or won't be, he be in contention. But whenever the, it's the big events that are being played, he's always at the leaderboard near the top. You know, He's always in contention. So I think Justin Rose is going to get it done. But I can't wait to watch it. It's going to be uh, very, very fun, very, very entertaining. That's going to be all weekend, uh, first event in the PGA Tour playoffs. It's now our sports betting blitz. We'll move on to our sports betting blitz, and then we'll wrap up by making some SummerSlam predictions. We've got 14 NFL teams to go in our sports betting blitz. We're going to keep rattling them off two at a time. If we get up against the collar of the NFL season, I'll just do whatever's left all in one shot. Um, But we start with the Miami Dolphins today. We're going to do the Miami Dolphins and the Minnesota Vikings. Um, Let's see. i got to pull up the lines. I'm a little bit unprepared here. Team wins. Then search Miami. Miami Dolphins over under six and a half. This is hard for me. Uh, And I'll tell you why it's hard. And I'll, I'll dig in and I'll pull up the schedules and everything. Miami under Coach Flores last year, at the beginning of the season, was one of the worst teams in the history of the NFL. Uh, like, if you guys remember, you know, Brian Flores, they were talking about him getting run out of town, like, early. And at the beginning of the season, the first month of the season, they looked as bad as we've ever seen an NFL team look. Their first four games before their bye week, they lost 59-10, 43 to nothing, 31-6, then 30-10. 
when you lose four times in a row in the NFL with all the parity in the NFL, if you lose four times in a row by 20 or more points, like something has really drastically gone wrong here. Um, but after their bye week, they started getting competitive. And after finish, or after starting 0-7, they actually actually finished off pretty good. They finished off five and four in their last nine games. So Coach Flores knows what he's doing. Like he's a really good coach. He squeezed every ounce of juice out of that orange last year. And now they've kind of improved their roster a little bit. Um, will it be Ryan Fitzpatrick? Will it be Tua? I don't know. You bring in Jordan Howard. Like they've they've got a little bit of a better roster. Um and one thing, of course, that I like about Miami is the fact that the East isn't as good. New England's kind of reeling a little bit. You play the last place schedule. For them, it's over under six and a half. I'm going to say under because I think they're one year away, and I think that they're going to dabble and play two a little bit. They're not going to give the full reins to Fitzpatrick. If Fitzpatrick played all year long, I think it would be over. But I think that they're going to still you know, embrace being one year away. Give me under for Miami but let me tell you this I think they're going to be entertaining to watch and I think they're going to be a tough as nails team a team that you're not going to want to play on a on a week-to-week basis Minnesota over or under nine um, Minnesota last season of course beat the Saints in the Superdome in the first week of the playoffs um, I quite frankly enjoyed that day but anyway it's another story for another day. Uh, Minnesota won 10 games last year, then lost in the second round to San Francisco. Kirk Cousins was actually, for his standards, pretty consistent. Uh, Minnesota was, um, were, they were seed locked. They were actually, we say 10 and 6, they were actually 11 and 5 last year. They, they were 10 and 6, but they would have beat the Bears in week 17 had Kirk Cousins actually played. They were seed locked. They lost that final game 21 to 19. I don't think anybody disputes that had Cousins play. They would have won that one and finished 11-5. and five. Um, So now it's over under 9. Their division is better, um, so that's a detriment. Green Bay should be improved. Chicago can't get any worse quarterback-wise. Detroit, hit or miss. Um, so let's, let's look at their schedule because I think this is interesting. I'm leaning towards over, but let's see what we got. You open up with Green Bay. You got to play the Colts, Texans, then um, – Let's do the Colts, Titans, and Texans, Seattle, Atlanta. Let's see. Yeah, their schedule's hard. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say push here. I'm gonna say they're gonna go nine and seven, based on their schedule at New Orleans late in the year, Christmas Day, when we may actually knock on wood have fans in the stands at that point. Um, yeah, I'm gonna push. I'm gonna say nine wins for Minnesota. Um, I think they're a good team. I think they've got a great roster. I think that they are very talented. One of the teams are going to be in it until the final weeks in the NFC. Um, but their schedule is just tough, man. And one of the things that is most intimidating about Minnesota is the fact that they've got the great home field advantage. It's so hard to win in Minnesota. But when you take the fans away, like that makes it um, all the less intimidating, obviously. So give me nine on the dot for Minnesota, and we'll call it a day from there. The teams we've got remaining in our sports betting blitz, we've got the Patriots, the Saints, the Giants, the Jets, the Raiders, the Eagles, Steelers, 49ers, Seahawks, Bucks, Titans, and Redskins. Oh, well, excuse me, the Washington football team. They're no longer the Redskins. Um, but we've got 12 teams to go, and we're excited to give those to you 
here in short order. But we're going to wrap up this episode, this wonderful episode that we thank you guys so much for being a part of by making our SummerSlam picks. SummerSlam is Sunday. Uh, perfect. We should have actually done this with James Ellsworth, but uh, I didn't want to take up too much of his time. We were so gracious. He didn't charge us anything. I was expecting to you know, maybe pay a little fee for his time. He didn't charge us anything. He took the call. We got to spend 33 minutes with him. So I was grateful for what we got. SummerSlam is going to be happening in Orlando. They're actually leaving the Performance Center, going to an arena, the Amway Center in Orlando. Uh, so we're going to have WWE and NBA all in the same city at the same time. So that'll be fun. Of course, uh, NBA is in their own little bubble. WWE will be in the uh, downtown Orlando area doing their own thing. Uh, I can't wait to see this. This will be on Sunday. Uh, we're going to start Mandy Rose versus Sonya Deville, hair versus hair match. I don't care. Um, give me give me Sonya Deville to win, I guess. I, I, I don't, don't particularly care for either performer. Don't understand why this is a SummerSlam match. Whatever it may be, give me Sonya Deville. Uh, short and sweet. We're going to actually dive into some analysis for some of this. But hair versus hair match, Mandy Rose, Sonya Deville. Um will be a great time for me to go and use the restroom will be a great time for me to go in the kitchen and make a sandwich will be a great time for me to uh, refill my water jug and uh, that's about it Sonya Deville I think is going to win don't particularly care either way and by the way if you don't like wrestling the rest of this episode will be wrestling uh, so feel free to call it a day uh, tag team match for the WWE Raw Tag Team Championships the Street Profits versus Andrade and Angel Garza with, with Zelina Vega um, I have been open about my enjoyment of Andrade, Garza, and Zelina Vega. I like the old school uh, stable with you know the heel manager and the heat and everything like that. Um, I think the poisoning gimmick here that has been used is kind of um, cheesy. But I think that Andrade and Garza are an interesting story. And I think that their breakup, which is, I think, where we're building here, is going to be most effective if they have a tag team title run at some point. So give me Andrade and Garza to go over and win the tag team championships. And uh, I think that that'll be considered maybe a slight upset to some uh, because I don't know how many people are expecting that to happen in that match. But give me Andrade and Garza to go over and win the title. Apollo Crews versus MVP singles match for the WWE United States Championship. Bobby Lashley and Shelton Benjamin are banned from ringside, which I always love that stipulation because it absolutely guarantees that one of the two is going to make an impact in the match in some form or fashion. MVP is going to go over, win the United States Championship. Um, Shelton Benjamin and Bobby Lashley uh, have a good thing going with MVP. I like their little feud. I think that we're setting up for Ricochet or, you know, one of the guys that are aligned with Apollo Crews to turn on Apollo Crews. And I think that's the way this one's going to end up. So give me MVP to get the win in the United States Championship. And he deserves it, man. He's been on a good run. And I'm um, very interested to see, uh, you know, how that goes. Um, should he get the title around his waist? Dominic Mysterio with Rey Mysterio versus Seth Rollins with Murphy in a street fight. Um... One of two things is going to happen here. Either Dominic Mysterio, and I still think this is what's going to end up happening, but it hasn't happened yet, so it leads me to believe maybe it won't. 
I still think Dominic Mysterio is going to go under the wing of Seth Rollins. Um, so I think that this may be a no finish where they just kind of pile on Rey Mysterio and, and have a, a big time send off where they write Rey off the TV beating the hell out of him. But if that doesn't happen, I think Dominic is going to go over Seth in a very good, very competitive match. I'm looking forward to seeing Dominic Mysterio. Good story, man. Like he's been involved in storylines since he was like eight or nine years old. People don't realize that. Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero back in the day had a storyline for custody of Dominic Mysterio back in the early 2000s. He's been involved in TV since he was literally a child. Now he'll be fighting on a SummerSlam pay-per-view. Sasha Banks versus Asuka for the Raw Women's Championship. And then also Bayley versus Asuka for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Um, do I think Asuka is going to win either one of the titles or both? Um, I'm going to say, like, my head tells me that we're going to see the Sasha and Bayley turn here. But I hope that's not the case. So I'm going to say Sasha and Bayley pull one out of their ass and they both get the win over Asuka and they both retain and they both stay on top of the world and continue their push, which I hope will end at WrestleMania with the two fighting against one another. So I'll say both Sasha and Bayley go over Asuka, neither one being clean uh, because that's what heels do. They win dirty, they, they cheat and do different things like that. So I think Sasha and Bayley both win dirty over Asuka and continue their push. But I wouldn't be surprised if one of the two, whatever match was first, um, one of the two cost the other the championship, which led to chaos in the second match. But give me give me an extension of this feud. Give me Sasha and Bailey both to go over. Championship matches. Drew McIntyre versus Randy Orton for the WWE Championship. I think Drew McIntyre is going to win and retain and the reason why I say that is because I think as we said in the last episode is if Arton were to win <laughs> then the way to end the show would have been Arton winning embracing Ric Flair arm in arm with the title then he RKO's Ric Flair punts him in the head that's the way to build your new heel champion as being you know the nastiest sleaziest guy but the fact that that happened on free TV tells me that Orton's going to reach the climax and fall short. So Drew McIntyre, I think, is going to go over in a match that I think, y'all, is going to be brutally physical. I think these guys are going to beat the ever-living snot out of one another. I think this is going to be good theater. I think both of these guys are capable of putting on a 15, 20-minute match that will be solid. Lots of high spots, but I think Drew McIntyre goes over. I don't think his run is going to end just yet. But I also wouldn't be surprised to see Brock Lesnar come back at SummerSlam and perhaps throw a monkey wrench into these plans. I wouldn't be surprised to see Otis maybe cash in on either of these two guys after a brutally physical match between McIntyre and Orton because it is SummerSlam. You know there's going to be some sort of swerve, something we didn't expect to see. Braun Strowman versus The Fiend. Bray Wyatt singles match for the WWE Universal Championship. The Fiend should have never been beaten. Uh, the Fiend should still be the champion to this point. He was the hottest thing going, crushing everybody, demoralizing and just rolling through the roster. I'm rooting for The Fiend to win this one. Um, it's SummerSlam, so I doubt that both championships are going to stay in the hands of, of the, the, the incumbents. 
So I'm going to roll the dice and say the Fiend is going to go over Braun Strowman here and win the Universal Championship. Um, because I think that they now realize that the error that they made with the whole Goldberg thing, and I think they'll pay it back here, and Bray Wyatt's going to go over Braun Strowman. Uh, SummerSlam is Sunday. I can't wait. One of my favorite times of the year. Um, it's going to be exciting. I think top to bottom, this eight-match card is going to be pretty good. Good entertaining, good wrestling, good storytelling, and it's going to all be outside of the Performance Center in Orlando. Can't wait to watch it. That's going to put a bow on us for today. I want to thank James Ellsworth. I want to thank Coach BJ Young. Thanks to you guys for listening. If you like the show, find us on iTunes and the iTunes library. Give us a five-star rating, please. I would appreciate that so very much. Uh, you guys have a great weekend. Watch SummerSlam, watch some PGA Tour, watch the NBA playoffs, MLB, whatever you want to do. Do it, watch it. Um, there's so much on TV to enjoy. After such a slow time where there just wasn't anything going on, we actually have some things to, to divert our attention, uh, deflect ourselves from all the craziness and all the madness in the world. So take advantage of those opportunities. Um, and more important than any of that is, look, I've had some COVID issues in my own family um, in recent days. Um, tell your loved ones that you care. Um, fortunately for us and our family, our COVID issues have been very mild and have not resulted in any type of hospitalizations or anything like that, thank God, to this point. Um, but it's still scary nonetheless whenever it happens to somebody, you know, in my instance, a brother and, you know, a sister-in-law, whatever it may be. Um, so if it's happening in your family, or even if it's not, take the time to tell the people that you care about that you care because life changes fast, life happens fast, and you never know when you're going to be getting that call or that text message saying that life as you know it has changed. So don't wait for tomorrow. Don't, you know, wait for somebody else to, um, you know, make the first move. Go ahead and tell people how you feel. And it goes back to what I say all the time, not even really on this show, but just in life in general. There are a lot of things in life that cost money. But it's 100% free to be a decent human being. It's 100% free to treat people the right way. So if we all just did a little bit more of that, the world would be so much of a better place. Have a great weekend. I'm done. Uh, thanks to all of our guests. Thanks to you for listening. Have a great weekend. God bless everybody. You guys are phenomenal. Thanks for allowing the show to grow. Thanks for allowing our website to grow. God bless and have a great weekend. Smile.